بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد ونسلی علی رسوله الكریم اما بعد اس طرح بھی رد دا سیکشن آن دا کنٹرولنگ آف دا گیز ناٹ کاسٹنگ حرام گلانسز اینڈ دیٹ دس از دا مینز آف ان شاء اللہ سیکیورنگ ڈیتھ آن ایمان از ویل دیٹ اے پرسن ہو بیکاز آف دا فی آف اللہ تعالی refrains from casting haram glances and whatever pain that he might have to undergo at that time he undergoes for the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala this is a means of gaining the sweetness of Iman as per the hadith Qudsi the hadith that was discussed that Allah Ta'ala says that the one who refrains from this haram glance out of my fear I will give him the sweetness of Iman in return And once the sweetness of Iman settles in the heart of a person, it will never leave. This is an indication that inshallah, this is a glad tiding, that such a person will inshallah gain death on Iman. So this is something very very great, something to be making full effort to acquire the sweetness of Iman all the time. Then comes today the fourth action, protecting the heart. Together with protecting the gaze, it is also necessary to protect the heart. Some people protect the gaze of the eyes, but do not protect the gaze of the heart. This means that they protect the eyes from casting lustful glances, but they do not protect the heart from thinking of the beautiful faces they had seen. By means of such thoughts and imaginations, they derive haram pleasure. One should understand well that this is also haram. Allah Ta'ala says, يَعْلَمُ خَائِنَةَ الْأَعْيُنِ وَمَا تُخْفِي الصُّدُورِ Allah Ta'ala knows the deception of the eyes and the secrets of the heart. Allah Ta'ala is aware of the haram pleasure that you derive in your heart. One Buzruk states, چُورِيَا آنْكُوكِ اور سِينُو کے راز جانتا ہے سب کو تو اے بے نیاز that you are well aware of the deceptions of the eyes and the secrets of the heart or the most independent one. So the, the point that is being explained here is that a person deliberately bringing all these thoughts to mind, imagining things, fantasizing, or if his gaze fell on something or he saw someone accidentally, so he turned his gaze away, But he didn't turn his heart away. He turned his gaze away, that was very good. But if he kept, because the gaze in that one instant, it captures that image into the heart. Now it's necessary to also turn the heart away. And if the heart is not going to be turned away, then the person now having turned his gaze is still seeing what he saw externally, he's seeing it within his heart now. And that is going to still do the same damage. So this is the very important thing to also turn the heart. And how is the person going to turn his heart? So just as a person turns his gaze from one thing he was looking, he turned his gaze and looked at something else. Likewise, a person, the heart also is in his control where to turn it. So he was looking in one direction or the heart was in one direction. Now to immediately turn the heart to something that will totally remove this picture. 
For example, the things that we have been discussing, the muraqaba of moth. So now at that time a person brings the picture of death to his mind. <coughs> Immediately in that instance, he's picturing his own death. He's picturing himself being lowered into the cover. Or he's picturing himself lying in the cover and those planks are now being put into place and it's getting darker. Or he pictures himself on the day of Qiyamah, what answer is going to give? Or any other thing that will bring a very different scene altogether, a positive scene, which will take this out of the heart and mind. Even if he just conjectures a very ugly scene in his mind, that will efface this picture that has come into his heart. So this is what is referred to by turning the gaze of the heart. This is also extremely important. And that is now a person has accidentally, his glance fell somewhere and now he needs to clear this picture out of his mind immediately. So this is necessary. Then it's obvious, it goes without saying, that how detrimental and how harmful it is to deliberately engage the heart in all kinds of evil thoughts. To deliberately engage the heart in fantasizing and whatever else. This totally destroys the nur of the heart. It totally destroys the spiritual strength of the heart. And that drive that a person had for righteousness, for tilawat of the Qur'an Sharif, for salah, that drive that he had to be doing what is correct and staying away from what is wrong, that entire drive is like contaminating the whole, the, in the tank where the fuel should be, he is now throwing sand into it. If there is sand mixed up in the fuel, it's obvious how that car is going to function. It will first keep stuttering and then somewhere that sand is going to get stuck in the system and it will stop. Now this kind of deliberate haram, engaging the mind in haram, this is throwing sand into that fuel of taqwa. Into that fuel that was driving the person towards going towards his salah, performing of other righteous deeds, making tilawat of the Qur'an Sharif, zikr, tasbihat, dua. Now the heart will be disinclined from all this. So, sometimes shaitan just puts this further deception in the mind to all these are baits of shaitan. And this is something very, very important that when a person is being tempted to whatever, being tempted even into just wrongly engaging his mind, to actually so to say, in the eye of the mind, see shaitan in that ugly form and <coughs> trying to entice a person with a dagger in his hand, he's showing something very appealing in front in one hand, but you can see the dagger sticking out in the other hand. And all he's waiting is to bring the person close enough to be able to stab, stab him in the back. So to be able to visualize this whole thing. And that will give the reality that where is this going to take me to? The shaitan is just waiting to just get close enough to me to stab me in the back with this dagger of sin and destroy me. So, to deliberately engage the mind in this way, this is very detrimental, very harmful. And it starts off the whole series of evil. This is the root. This is where it starts off from. So This is the very important aspect that is being highlighted here. It is not sinful if the sins of the past come to mind. It is sinful to bring these thoughts to mind. If an evil thought comes to mind, 
one will not be taken to task for it. However, when an evil thought comes to mind, it is haram thereafter to entertain that thought by thinking further about it, or to deliberately think of the past sins and derive pleasure from it, or to plot committing a sin in the future. One is a waswasa. This is something that will, shaitan's full-time job is to keep whispering evil. And if shaitan has trapped a person in some evil at some stage in time, whenever it might be in his life, then sometimes the wasavis of that and the whispers of that particular aspect may even continue lifelong. This is important to know this and be aware of it. One is that when these wasavis come, a person should be alert that this is shaitan again trying to trap me into the same thing. But the other part of it is, many a person sometimes, who mashallah is making his utmost effort to keep his heart and mind clear of everything, to keep his gaze low, to keep his heart clean, but then he becomes very perturbed and very disturbed with these wasavis, these whispers of shaitan. The whispers of shaitan are merely whispers, it cannot harm a person in the least bit, as long as he does not entertain it, he does not give place to it in his heart, instead he just immediately ignores it, he turns his mind to something else, decides la hawla wa la quwata illa billah, and carries on, if that happens a hundred times a day, it happens a thousand times in the day, as long as he does not entertain it, he does not give place to it in his heart, it comes and goes, the heart is like a highway, a super highway, but this is a highway where anything and everything passes. Well, it might not be a common sight in our highways, but in some countries, third world countries and so on, the super highway, everything crosses on it. The best top of the range car also crosses, and you'll find one donkey and mule also crossing. You'll find some animals also all passing through the same road. Now the person who's sitting on the side of the road to start seeing now who is passing here, and which car passed, and which dog passed, and which donkey passed, then he'll waste his time and he'll get caught up in something totally futile. He must carry on on his road. Don't worry about who's passing. As long as he ignores who's passing, he won't harm him in any way. So he must just focus his entire attention on his destination. So, the whispers of shaitan, no matter what, the worst thought can come to the heart of the greatest wali of the time, that won't change his situation anyway. His wilayat won't get affected with that. Provided that he doesn't give any space to that in his heart. And when he turns his heart away, he gets the same noor that he would have got when he turned his gaze away from haram. Because this too is now a bujahada from Buddhism. So the same noor that he would have got for having turned his gaze away from haram, he'll get for turning his heart away. So this is an ongoing thing that needs to be undertaken. <clears throat> these aspects will incur the displeasure of Allah Ta'ala, that is to deliberately think of the past or to entertain the whispers when they come these aspects will incur the displeasure of Allah Ta'ala. another severe harm of thinking of evil is that the desire to commit sins is intensified this is where the whole the heart is the king and now he's given space to these whispers in his heart, these thoughts in his heart, and now he's entertaining it. He himself is engaging his heart in this. 
So, this is now going to intensify the desire for sins. And when the heart has become embroiled in this, then the rest of the body is going to now go in that direction. The heart is king, if the heart is kept clean, then this is something that will keep everything clear. As a result, there is a grave danger that one will become physically involved in sin. Therefore, this is something extremely important to keep the heart under control. As we discussed yesterday, or the day before, the aspect, last night as well, the aspect of the zikr of the heart, zikr qalbi, that is a very, very effective means of keeping the heart away from all these things, especially those whispers of shaitan which start, start distracting a person, then the zikr qalbi from the depth of the heart, like that drowning person, from the depth of the heart repeatedly, till this, it's a wave, it's a wave from shaitan, it's an attack of shaitan. So till this passes, a person from the depth of his heart is repeatedly saying Allah, not just lip service, from the depth of the heart, he feels it coming from the recesses of the heart. And repeatedly he's saying it till this moment passes. And it'll pass. Because shaitan, his whispers cannot withstand the zikr of Allah Ta'ala. The ayat of the Quran Sharif, وَإِذَا مَسَّهُمْ طَائِفٌ مِّنَ الشَّيْطَانِ إِنَّ الَّذِينَ اتَّقَوْا إِذَا مَسَّهُمْ طَائِفٌ مِّنَ الشَّيْطَانِ تَذَكَّرُوا فَإِذَا هُمْ مُبْصِرُونَ And in the Hadith Sharif, this is something that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi has explained this whole detail that shaitan purchases or some person saw a, a vision of this that shaitan perches at the top of the heart and he awaits for this person to become ghafil, for him to become unmindful. And as soon as he becomes unmindful, meaning from the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala, becoming unmindful is not necessarily meaning that he will stop making the verbal zikr. Sometimes he won't be engaged in verbal zikr, he won't be engaged in tilawat, he won't be engaged in many other forms of verbal engagement, but his heart is not ghafil. Like the incident we mentioned of the person who saw somebody by the Haram Sharif and the Kaaba Sharif, but his heart was in dunya. And another person was engrossed in his business, but the heart was with Allah Ta'ala. But as soon as this heart becomes ghafil, now it's going in a different direction. So shaitan, with a snout like a mosquito, he injects his poison into this heart now. But as soon as the person engages in the zikr of Allah Ta'ala, he cannot withstand that. He then retreats. So the Remedy to all these things is the zikr of Allah Ta'ala. But from the depth of the heart, the zikr qalbi is extremely effective for this. Together with that are these muraqabas. But all these things will come to mind at that time, at the moment when one needs it, provided that this was being done constantly. This is something to keep remembering and keep reminding oneself at the time when one feels now a little bit lazy to complete one's tasbihat and ma'amulat one's muraqaba for the day, that now I've done it so many days now, one day I miss it, so what's a big deal about it? But the big deal what it is, that will become apparent, Allah forbid, just down the line, when now shaitan attacks. So now the person has starved for the day. Zikr ka naga, ruh ka faqa. Shaykh state, that zikr ka naga meaning, missing out one zikr. Missing the zikr for that day is ruh ka faqa, he has starved his ruh. If the person hasn't eaten for the day, he's going to be weak, he's not going to be able to physically do what 
he could do had he eaten. Now he wants to run. He's being chased by some thieves, some thugs. But he hasn't eaten for the whole day. How, 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 far, how fast can he run? He's weak. So just as he cannot physically run away from the thieves when he hasn't eaten for the day, when he hasn't completed his zikr, his tasbihat, his tilawat for the day, he's now spiritually weak. And now when shaitan attacks, he doesn't have that spiritual strength to be able to ward off this attack. So one day of missing this tasbihat, etc., that too is harmful. It's not that it's sinful. Because it's nafil. So nobody says that he will get a sin if he didn't make his tasbihat for the day. But not being sinful is a different issue. It doesn't mean it's not harmful also. Especially for the person who has now started off with his tasbihat, his zikr, his tilawat, and he's now on the path of suluk, he is trying to move forward. So he's run out of fuel now. And especially when a person is on an incline, so now this is, person is trying to rise, he's trying to go up. And when a person is going on an upward incline, and then he suddenly just switches off, then he starts rolling backwards. And sometimes the roll backwards can be faster than the speed at which he went up. Because now he's rolling at the downward now. So this is something to be very careful about, very cautious about. That is why the Mashayak stayed. That if a person out of sometimes maybe illness, or he's extremely tired, or whatever the situation may be, and he cannot complete his tasbihat for that day. He cannot complete everything, do half. He cannot do half, do quarter. Do some portion. Don't let the day go by with that mamulat of that day being missed out completely. Even he did one tenth of it. Some amount of it he completed. That too will keep the barkas of it. But when the whole day has passed without those mamulat being any portion of it, nothing. He must his tilawat completely, must his tasbihat completely. That now opens the door to missing it the next day also. Person missed one day completely, the bay barkati sits in. The barkat is gone, and now the door is open for this to now continue. Many a times the person says, Well, I missed it two, three days, and it just fell, and for now months I haven't done anything. So where it started off from, it started from the first day. The first day that it was missed, that resulted in these months. So come what may, person is so sick that he can't be sitting and completing it, lying down he did one tenth of it. He did one twentieth of it. But something, lying down he couldn't even, he was so tired or so sick he couldn't do it with his, verbally, do it in the heart. How much more easier can it get? The heart never stops. The mind never stops. This is sometimes just a deception that a person says, well, I stopping everything now because I need to relax the mind. What does it mean to relax the mind? The relaxing of the mind is simply, is achieved by simply changing from one task to the other. That relaxes the mind. A person has been engaged in something. So obviously, after a while, the mind also tires. But he then turned it, or he started engaging in something else. As soon as he's turned his mind to something else, or he started engaging in some other work, something maybe lighter, something that doesn't require that amount of concentration, that amount of intense thinking. So that will relax the mind, but the mind never stops. That is just something that feels, well, if I don't do anything, then the mind will relax. So 
now he was engaged in something, now he's just engaging the heart in some muraqaba. That is relaxing the mind. He's engaging the heart in some zikr, some tasbih. But the bottom line is, not to let the day pass where the mamulat of the day were completely missed. Can't do the whole thing, do half of it, do quarter of it, do one tenth of it. Now one tenth, how long is that one tenth going to take? But that too, as far as possible, we try to complete it. This is now where something, or the person now the whole day went past, and he's so tired, and if he's not going to do that one tenth also, he won't do anything. So rather do that one tenth. But don't let the day go by without doing anything. May Allah Ta'ala protect us and save us from all these haram actions. By the barakat of being protected from these sins, it will inshallah become easy to remain safe from all sins. So these were the four actions. The first was the aspect of a beard, one first length of beard, not to trim it below that. And the second was the aspect of the garments always above the ankles and clearly above the ankle. To try to avoid it even being on the ankle. So the garments above the ankle all the time. The third was the aspect of guarding the gaze. And the fourth aspect about guarding the heart. A person remains firm on these four things. Inshallah other things will all become very easy for him. Thereafter there are other aspects mentioned in this booklet. The topic here is to acquire the tawfiq to practice on the above four actions. Complete the following four tasbihat. And the tasbihat that have been discussed here, the first is the tasbih of La ilaha illallah. You will just read through this also. That in order to save oneself from the four haram aspects that have been discussed above, one must regularly fulfill the following four wazaif, daily practices. By completing these wazaif, one's ruh will gain great strength. When the ruh gains strength, it will become easy to refrain from sins. This is the thing to always bring to mind when a person is now feeling lazy to fulfill his mamulat, that am I going to starve my root today? Then, if I want to starve my root, I'd rather starve my body also. Ustad Hazrat Maul Abdul Hamid Sahib, many times he mentioned this, that he explained after he had come back from India, so he had become bare to the Sheikh, Rahmatullah So, on the return, it was a 25 day journey by ship. So, mashallah, everything was in time, all the mamulat were getting completed properly. When he returned now, the responsibility started. So after some time, he wrote to the Shaykh Hamtulale to say that I'm sometimes missing my zikr or not completing it. Rather wrote back with some advice that you go about it this way and try to complete it in this manner. After some time, he wrote back to say that it's still carrying on like this. Sometimes it's getting completed, sometimes not getting completed. Rather gave him more advice. After some time when he wrote for the third time to say that this zikr sometimes still gets missed. So the Shaykh Ramatullah wrote back and said that the day that you miss your zikr first thing in the morning, then that day you miss your breakfast also. Then don't eat as well. Now, a person who commits himself to that, then see how punctually that zikr will get done. So, the time for the physical nourishment, no matter how hectic a person's schedule is, how busy he may be, but he finds his time for his physical nourishment. It doesn't happen that he says he was so busy the whole day that he didn't eat. Yes, there are those people who did that. And the person was the Sheikh Ramtulali himself, his incident. He says that he used to be so engrossed in his work, in his kitabs and his studying, preparing for his lessons and his writings, 
that he should not have his lunch. There was no lunch that he used to have. And he used to eat in the evening. But that evening meal also, or rather he used to eat in the evening that lunch, his sister used to come and make the lukmas and put in his mouth. Because he didn't have time to do that too. And when she passed away, then he gave up, skipped that meal. Because now this is going to take too much of his time. Now if we are, mashallah, on that caliber, then it's a different thing. And he says many times, later in the day, he would start feeling very hungry. And he would start wondering why. And then he would remember that, well, he hasn't eaten today. So he even forgot he hadn't eaten. And we already remember before time that we have to eat. And already the plans are in place of now what and how I'm going to make the best of it. So well before time, the previous meal hasn't digested yet. And we're already remembering that just now it's time to eat again. And time for a snack or time for tea or time for this and that. And yet having missed them, skipped the meals for the whole day. And even forgot that he hadn't eaten. So, this is the thing that if a person, this laziness comes, these situations come that now, I just don't have the time today, they don't have the time for eating also, then see how the time comes away for the zikr as well. So the fourth asbihad, the first is, recite La ilaha illallah hundred times. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa is reported to have said, La ilaha illallah, laysa laha hijabun doon Allah. La ilaha illallah, there is no veil between La ilaha illallah and Allah Ta'ala. When the slave of Allah Ta'ala recites this kalima on the earth, his recitation reaches the arsh azam the grand throne of Allah Ta'ala. The manner of reciting La ilaha illallah, when saying La ilaha, lightly ponder that my La ilaha has reached the arsh azam When reciting illallah, lightly ponder once more that through a, that through a pillar of light, the nur of Allah Ta'ala entering my heart from the Arsh Azam. Ponder over this very lightly. Do not unduly pressure the mind. After reciting La ilaha illallah, every eight or ten times, recite Muhammadur Rasulullah and complete the kalima. Then recite Allah Allah hundred times. It is wajib to recite Jalla Jalaluhu upon taking the name of Allah Ta'ala the first time. What this means is that in any one gathering, when the name of Allah Ta'ala is taken, it is wajib in that gathering to say at least once, Jalla Jalaluhu, or Allah Ta'ala, or some expressing the greatness of Allah Ta'ala in some way. The name of Allah Ta'ala should be taken with great love. When deciding Allah, imagine that there is one tongue in the mouth and another tongue in the heart. Think that both are simultaneously saying Allah. Also imagine that Allah is emanating from every pore of my body. To ponder very lightly on the above is sufficient. Undue pressure should not be put on the mind. If during the course of zikr, the following couplet of the servant is recited, now and again, you may find even more pleasure in the zikr. Allah Allah kesa pyara naam hai, aashiko ka meena aur jam hai. Allah Allah, how sweet a name is it. It is the wine and goblet of the lovers. That a person who is addicted to his wine and goblet, he merely sees it and he goes in a hall. But what is it? He is just in a deception. After that drinking of that intoxicant, then he is worse off than where he started off. And for that temporary brief moment, he thinks that he enjoyed something. 
but the sweet poison of his is going to destroy him completely. But those who are truly the lovers of Allah Ta'ala, they take the name of Allah Ta'ala, they get that ecstasy which the people of dunya can't imagine, provided that this is taken with true love for Allah Ta'ala. <coughs> then recite istighfar hundred times, the following istighfar may be recited, Rabbi khfir warham wa anta khairul rahimeen, O my Rabb, forgive my sins and shower your mercy upon me, for verily you are the one who shows greatest mercy. Thereafter, it has explained the tafsir of warham, the tafsir of rahmat, the tawfiq e ta'at, and increase in sustenance, forgiveness without accountability, and entry into jannat, which we discussed this morning as well. And then number four, recite Duru Sharif hundred times. Recite the following Duru Sharif hundred times daily, Sallallahu alayhi nabiyyil ummi. This concise Duru Sharif is narrated in the Hadith Sharif. Father says, my first Shaykh, Hazrat Mawlasha Abdul Ghani Pulpuri Rahmatullah has explained the beautiful manner of reciting Duru Sharif. He says, when reciting Duru Sharif, imagine you are standing at the Rosa Mubarak. From the countless blessings that are being showered upon Rasulullah wasallam, some droplets are falling on you as well. So a person is imagining that he is at the Rosa Mubarak and there is this what is the Niagara Falls? It cannot compare to the shower of Noor that is coming. And as a result, the spray that now comes out of that, so some droplets of this are coming on me as well. From the countless blessings that are being showered upon Rasulullah some droplets are falling on you as well. Qutbul Alam Hazrat Mawlana Rashid Ahmad Gangui Rahmatullah was asked, should istighfar be recited first or durood sharif? He inquired, do you wash your dirty clothes first or do you first apply ithar? Does a person first apply ithar and then go wash the clothes or does he first wash it and then apply ithar? Or does he first take a bath and then apply ithar or the other way around? It's obvious, you first wash yourself and then you apply ithar. Therefore, one should first cleanse his soul from the filth of sin by means of istighfar. And then perfume his soul with the recitation of Durood Sharif. By reciting the above four tasbihat with punctuality, the heart will be filled with noor and the soul will be strengthened. One will then be greatly perturbed by the darkness of sin. When there is light, then when something is clean, there is a white cloth and one speck of dust also is visible on it. So a person is wearing a white kurta, then he is easily able to discern any spot and he will now be concerned to clean it, to wash it. But now supposing somebody is working as a mechanic or something and his, all his clothes are filled with grease, entire clothes are filled with grease and then now somebody throws one blot of ink on him. Now that one blot of ink, what difference is going to make? Who is going to notice the difference? This is filled with grease from before, this ink is like doesn't even show anything anywhere, that this ink has also come. So the same thing is the case of the heart, that when the heart has been enlightened with the zikr of Allah Ta'ala, when this nur has now settled in the heart and has brightened the heart, so any zulmat, to the extent that this heart has been enlightened, any zulmat that comes will be perceived. And when it's perceived, when a person senses it, now he'll be able to take steps or he will be concerned about Removing it. But if the heart is already filled in darkness, some further darkness comes, the person doesn't know what more came. Because the heart was already in darkness. 
And as a result, the person, sometimes people say, and this is something which unfortunately many people say, especially in the business world and so on, some people who now all the time working in an environment where they are women and they are interacting with women all the time, say, you don't know what you keep talking about and all these things that are being spoken about so often. Say, I don't feel anything. Say, I don't feel anything. You all say that, no, this is going to harm you in this way and harm you in that way. I don't feel anything. So actually, the person who doesn't feel anything means everything has already happened. That heart is already dead. So now the senses of the heart, or if he's not dead, he's paralyzed. So a paralyzed person doesn't feel anything. Person, one person, he had some kind of problem on his leg. So all the senses of the leg had more or less died, some kind of stroke, or whatever the case might be. Person was working somewhere as a night guard or something. And now this was the case of his leg. Now at night, now he had to be guarding or whatever the case was, so he lit a fire. This is an incident that happened some time back. So he lit a fire to keep himself warm, it was winter. And he dozed off. And his leg, in that, somehow, whatever happened, it slipped closer to that fire. And slowly caught a light. It caught a light and he didn't even know. And he carried on sleeping. And slowly that fire had now been coming up until somebody else by chance happened to pass and they saw what's happening. Now the person is alive, but that leg, the senses died in it, it was actually alight. But though it was like probably his skin was now catching on fire, but he knew nothing. So when that heart has, the senses, the spiritual heart has died, or the senses have been paralyzed because of this continuous engagement, the person now is interacting freely, he is not bothered about guarding his gaze, about guarding his heart, so the senses have died. So now he feels nothing apparently, but the harm is being done. That leg is alive, it's burning, first the leg was there, there was some chance maybe some physiotherapy or whatever the case is, it'll come back. Now it's getting burned, there won't be any leg left. So this is the case. That when there is this nur in the heart, the heart has been enlightened with the zikr, with the tasbihat, then a person will perceive that slightest bit. Like the incident we mentioned of Hazrat Umar radiallahu that he is dishing out water to the people. He says, no, I felt something in my heart. We don't feel it, he felt it, how come? Because that heart was clean, shining. So it wasn't anything, the slightest dot also, they perceive it. And they would take steps to cleanse that out. So, this is the thing, that with the zikr being made regularly, the heart becomes enlightened. <laughs> By reciting the above four tasbihat with punctuality, the heart will be filled with noor and the soul will be strengthened. One will then be greatly disturbed, perturbed by the darkness of sin. This is the difference between a zakir, that is one who makes zikr, and a non-zakir. That even if the zakir has to err, he will immediately perceive the darkness of the sin. He manages to perceive this darkness since he is one who possesses light. As soon as the darkness comes, he is immediately perturbed, hence he immediately seeks forgiveness from Allah Ta'ala. And having made up for, that sin, for the sin that he has committed, he once again regains the nur from Allah Ta'ala. Unlike the non-zakir, the one who does not make zikr is like a blind person, who cannot even perceive the darkness. So this is the very great, we are insan. 
We are human beings. We are not immune. And never should a person ever regard himself as immune. Or as okay. We are all the time to be concerned and worried that we have to be all the time seeking the protection of Allah Ta'ala. That Allah Ta'ala protect us and save us from the traps of nafs and shaitan. This nafs, ye is nafs ammara ka koi, koi barosa nahi e zahid. Ye farishta bhi ho jaye to usse badguma rehna. This couplet of Al-Khaja Azir Hassan Majub Rahmatullah Alayhi is nafsi ammara ka koi barosa nahi e zahid. That don't ever trust this nafsi ammara. Nafsi ammara bisu, this nafs that keeps inciting towards evil, don't ever trust it. Even if this appears to have become an angel, despite having become an angel apparently, it's still not trustable. Ma'arum Rahmatullah is that famous parable that he gives, that incident of the person who went out hunting and it was freezing winter, it was snow all over the place. So he went out hunting and he found this huge snake, but that snake was like dead. He thought it is dead, but it was actually frozen stuff because of the winter. So he picked up the snake and brought it along. And now he just threw it into his room and left it there. And he went to sleep, but the room was warm with the fire that was burning in that room. So after a while, that heat of that fire started coming to the snake and it began thawing out. And as it thawed out, it came into motion. When it came into motion, the person that was there was the person, the hunter. The first thing is that it bit him. So likewise is enough. That sometimes a person due to have been for a period of time in a correct environment, he's been in Atikaf, the month of Ramadan came, or the person went out in Jamaat and he spent his time correctly, was out for a whole chilla, for four months, for more. So now, alhamdulillah, with that proper environment, with that continuous amal, etc. So this nafs gets frozen from the haram. Due to the effect of the good environment, this nafs gets frozen from all the evil that it was inciting towards. But now the person felt, mashallah, I, I think my job is done. So he becomes relaxed. He becomes ghafil, like that hunter went to sleep. Right in the presence of that snake, he just went away to sleep. So now he becomes relaxed now, he's starting to interact freely with, or not being so careful about his gaze, or not being cautious about what he's speaking, or what he's listening to. Now all this is the heat. Every sin has its heat. Everything that is incorrect has its own heat. So all this heat is now reaching the nafs again. And a short while, this nafs starts rearing its head again. And before a person knows it, it has already struck, has already bitten him. And the poison has already now gone back into the system. So a person at no stage can he remain very careless or remain just unmindful. All the time we need to be concerned and need to be worried about being saved from the evil of this nafs. Thus by the punctual recitation of these tasbihat, inshallah the rule will be greatly strengthened and one will be able to combat the nafs and shaitan. It will also become very easy to refrain from the four sins mentioned earlier.
eventually a day will come when he will no longer have the courage to sin anymore. The friendship of Allah Ta'ala is dependent upon refraining from sins. Allah Ta'ala says, In awliya'uhu illal muttaqoon That none are his friends except those who do not commit sins. Allah Ta'ala doesn't say in the Quran Sharif, In awliya'uhu illal musalloon In awliya'uhu illal illal saimoon Or illal mutasaddiqoon The friends of Allah Ta'ala are only those who perform salah only those who give sadaqat and charity and all these are very great amal. There is no, sal- no deen without salah. But the friendship of Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala says that only those are his friends who are the muttaqun. Those who have taqwa. Friendship of Allah Ta'ala is based on this. Person who has taqwa will perform his salah also. Person who has taqwa will spend in the path of Allah as well. But the friendship of Allah Ta'ala is on taqwa. So this is what we have to make an effort to acquire. Thus the basis of the friendship of Allah Ta'ala is taqwa. In fact the greatest stage of wilayat, which is siddiqiyat, is also dependent on taqwa. After the stage of nubuwat. Nubuwat, the doors of nubuwat are closed. And nobody can reach the rank of a nabi no matter what he does. All the awliya of the time and all the sahaba also put together can't get anywhere close to the rank of nubuwat. But immediately after where the rank of Nubuwat is, is the rank of Siddiqiyat. Min al-Nabiyyin wa Siddiqin wa Shuhada'i wa Salihin. The Quran Sharif, there are these four, four categories mentioned. So the rank of Siddiqiyat, this is what is the dua to make. Allah Ta'ala grant us the nisbat, the connection of the awliya'i Siddiqin. And then in the Siddiqiyat also, there's a worlds apart from the level of one Siddiq and the other. The greatest Siddiq was Siddiq Akbar radiallahu anhu. Has Abu Bakr radiallahu So all the Sahaba put together also couldn't reach the rank of that Siddiqiyat. And all the awliya of the time and of the Tabi'in Zera as well put together cannot reach the rank of the Siddiqiyat of the Sahaba. So but nevertheless, this is the greatest rank after Nubuad. So it also become Thus the basis of the friendship of Allah Ta'ala is taqwa. In fact the greatest stage of wilayat, which is siddiqiyat, is also dependent on taqwa. The greater one's taqwa, the greater the friendship of Allah Ta'ala will be. The reason for this is that upon refraining from sins, his heart will be grieved. And he will have to gulp the bitter sip of patience, of sabr. Upon the sacrifice, Allah Ta'ala endows him with the great gift of his friendship. May Allah Ta'ala grant us the ability to practice upon this advice. May He grant us perfect taqwa, despite the fact that we are not deserving. May Allah Ta'ala merely out of His grace, cause us to reach the furthest point of the stage of Siddiqiyat, the highest rank of Wilayat. Amin. O Allah, when the rays of your sun falls on even filth, it does not deprive it of your blessings, since your grace does not search for ability. To shower your blessings. This is actually the translation of a couplet, a Persian couplet. Aftabat barhadas hami am tu nami sanad. That when the rays of the sun fall on filth, on dung, etc., that's lying there, then that too brings out some benefit. 
that dung gets dried and that whatever moisture comes out of it goes into the earth that becomes fertilizer and because that dung has dried that now gets used as fuel so even the sun rays it made that filth useful in some way what was filth it was dung but the rays of the sun made that filth also useful so this is the meaning of this couplet that ya Allah the sun is your makhluk the sun is your creation and this creation is such that when it falls its rays fall on even filth then that filth some use comes out of it so ya Allah the rays of your rahmat if those rays fall on filthy people like us that will certainly make us something it will make us your true servants so this is what we are begging for hence O the son of grace allow even a single ray of your grace to fall on unworthy ones like us attract us towards yourself and make us devoted to you Amin. Rabbana taqabbal minna innaka anta samiul alim there's one couplet right at the end that is written also that mayus na ho ahle zami apni khata se taqdeer badal jati hai muztar ki dua se that iman al-iman ubayn al-khawfi wa raja iman is between hope and fear there is no despondency in a mu'min's life iman is between hope and fear so the hope is all the time that we have to have hope in Allah Ta'ala never become despondent so this is what Hazrat is explaining here that O people of the earth don't become despondent if you have erred don't become despondent due to your errors why? because a person's destination also is changed by the desperate dua by the dua of the desperate heart the person in the desperation makes dua that dua will change whatever the situation is so we are insan, we are human beings but Allah has kept the door of Tawbah open person has erred, he has slipped immediately to turn to Tawbah and once again join this relationship with Allah Ta'ala Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq subhanallah, alhamdulillah, subhanakallah, alhamdulillah